education is extremely crucial to society, but online education pales in comparison to attending live classes with peers and teachers. Education helps breed the next generations of doctors, lawyers, teachers, etc. So without this education, there would be no doctors and teachers. And without those professions, the world essentially would be chaos. This is Fireflies, the original kids debate show. I'm Noah Golden, your host for today's episode on distance learning, its problems, how schools will return in the fall, and how you can make the most of this difficult time. Welcome to the show. As we enjoy summer vacation, we must consider our inevitable return to school and what that return will look like. From mid-March until early June, we all experienced a new type of school, distance learning or remote learning. You may be thinking, oh, that was a one-time deal. Everything is going to be fine come mid-August and it'll be just like 2019. Well, for the most part, you're wrong. School will be different, whether that be in the form of a hybrid model a continuation of full-time online learning, or a somewhat full return, complete with lots of medical procedures. As much as I want to hang with my friends like normal, we have to listen to the facts and prioritize public health. According to CNN, many of the plans to reopen that have been announced so far involve social distancing, medical equipment, testing, isolation plans, and regular cleaning protocols. Some schools are also exploring hybrid models, combining in-person and virtual learning. One principle is for certain. Schools need to be prepared. Rather than proposition versus opposition, the debate today will revolve around a series of open-ended questions. But don't worry, there will still be arguing. Before we begin, here are two words to keep in mind. Public and private schools. Public schools are government-funded and have no cost to enroll, while private schools are independently run and almost always have a cost to enroll. Okay, now that you're ready, let's get into it. Although this episode was initially recorded on June 19th, 2020, this is the first time we are releasing it. Joining me now to discuss distance learning is 15-year-old Oma Sukol and 13-year-old Benjamin Wong, the host of the Kid CEO podcast, which I encourage you guys to check out. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Ben, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks for asking. You guys all doing good with your summer? Yeah. Yep. Cool. Today, I will ask you guys several questions about distance learning and what a return to school may look like. So the first question I'm going to start off with is about balancing public health and education as we reopen schools in early August and mid-August. For years, education has fostered new generations of scientists, lawyers, teachers, and countless individuals who have strengthened our world. As school districts plan their students' full or part-time return in the fall, a debate on education versus public health will emerge, much like the ongoing issue of the economy versus public health. Why is education so important to society, and how can we find a balance between public health and education as we reopen schools? Ben, what's your take on that? Well, Noah, to be frank, like you said, education helps breed the next generations of doctors, lawyers, teachers, etc. 
So without this education, there would be no doctors and teachers. And without those professions, the world essentially would be chaos. So now finding a balance between public health and education is a very big question. But at the end of the day, education means nothing if there's no people to be educated. So because of this philosophy, we have to make sure we reopen schools beyond caution. There needs to be a 99.999% hypothetical guarantee, or we will risk a second outbreak directed towards the next generation, which will be even more detrimental. So Ben, you talked about how we can't learn if there's no kids to be taught anything. Well, kids aren't at higher risk as adults are. According to Harvard, many kids actually have no symptoms. Those that do get sick tend to experience milder symptoms, such as a low fever, fatigue, and cough. And some children have had severe complications, especially those with underlying illnesses, but most of them did okay with the coronavirus. So we need to make sure, and you also mentioned that 99.99% guarantee that there will be no one dying or anything. But that's sort of unrealistic. You also mentioned that we can't reopen until much later. Uh, that's correct, until we get a vaccine. Mm -hmm. Oma, is that realistic, waiting until we get a vaccine? Most experts have put getting a productive vaccine until early to mid-2021. Is Ben's plan realistic? I don't agree with Ben's plan. I agree with him on the part where education is extremely crucial to society, but online education pales in comparison to attending live classes with peers and teachers. And distance learning lacks the social aspects and the benefits of hands-on learning as well that the teachers can provide. I believe that we should go back as soon as we can with all the safety precautions in place, obviously, like masks, sanitizing, hand washing and distancing, and in addition, monitoring people's symptoms so we could be careful to limit the spread. But I don't agree with Ben when he said we should wait till we find a vaccine because we don't know when this vaccine will come about. We don't know when it's gonna happen. And I don't think we could risk waiting that long, which could be like a detriment to students' education and learning. Uh -huh. Like you said, face-to-face -face interaction is really important. And as we all know, most kids aren't getting the same education in distance learning compared to face-to-face. -to -face. So it is very important to get back to school as soon as possible, but we do need to make sure that there are certain precautions in place, you know, such as monitoring symptoms, having maybe nurses in the office, contact tracing. Ben, how would you disagree with the fact that we need to get back to school as soon as possible? Yeah, well, I wanted to address something uh, you, Noah, said earlier, and then also um, address this question and something Oma said. So earlier you said about the Harvard study. Um, we'll see, the reason so little kids are being affected is that there's a much smaller sample size because kids are not out and about as much as adults. So that way, cases in kids is much less, hence the number of serious cases, cases is also much less. I'll put it simpler. If there's a 5% chance of a serious case and there are 100 kids, then there will be five affected kids with a serious case. But if there's 1,000 adults, then there will be 50 adults with a serious case. 
So looking at it that way, it's not really much of a comparison. And if we allow these kids to go in public before we have the high guarantee of safety, I can almost certainly say that we will probably have, even if a little bit, more cases in kids and therefore more serious cases in kids. And now to address OMA. I understand that kids need to go back to school, but I'll say it again, we should really stay closed until we get a vaccine, especially considering the fact that it will be a colder fall and winter than summer, prompting the virus to spread easier. And also, we've seen it so far, when states reopen too early, and then it's not a coincidence, the cases in those states start rising again. So do we really want to risk a young, precious life? What if it was your best friend? Or what if it was your sibling? And so now, to the audience, what's more important, your life or your friends? Ben, no, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when he mentioned about the kids versus adults um, in their cases, I think he's trying to say that kids, they can handle the virus more easily and more kids get over it or recover from the viruses easier than adults do. So Ben, yeah, so that's what I was saying. Ben is saying that the kids actually are at the same rate of infection or are not the same rate of infection, but the same death rate as adults because there's because there's less kids who are getting the virus. There are actually a lot oh, of kids. Yeah. Actually, if I can correct you, I'm not saying that the um, rate is necessarily the same. I'm saying that the reason why there's fewer, not in percentage, but number, there's a fewer number of serious cases is because there are a few number, fewer number of cases overall. Yes, but it's also related to the fact that kids aren't as susceptible as older adults. I mean, Exactly. Yeah, it's not just the sample size, of course. So you're saying that, okay, because there's less kids who have the virus, there's going to be less kids with serious cases. But that's not, that's not what we're looking at. We're also looking at that kids are actually less susceptible to the virus and that they won't, there's less likely rate that they will die. So, Oma, how would you respond to Ben saying that? So, Ben, I don't agree with you on the part where we wait until we find a cure because we have no clue when this would happen. And okay. it's just... Like, vaccine, not necessarily cure. Oh, sorry, sorry, vaccine. And I feel like it's just um, impractical to wait that long because we don't know the risks that we take with the lack of education or lack of like materials or that like can be provided to students in this time. So we're looking at a few different scenarios here. Ben is taking the more cautious route and saying we should wait until there's a vaccine and everything should be digitalized until that time. If that is the case, we need to make sure that our distance learning is drastically improved from where it has been in these past three months. Oma, you're saying that we should enter into a sort of hybrid mode where we have a few classes at school and then a few classes at home. So you're sort of trying to balance out the two factors we have here, public health and education, because you need to make sure that these kids are getting the best education possible. Is that correct? Exactly. All right, so now we're gonna move on to the second question, which is about the divide between public and private schools in distance learning. The Center on Reinventing Public Education examined 100 public school districts and found that just 22 of them are requiring real-time teaching, while only 10 of those systems are teaching live in all grades, including early elementary school, while a lot of private schools have more face-to-face -face learning. This is according to the New York Times. 
how has distance learning divided public and private schools? And why might that be the case? I'll give it to Oma first. I think distance learning is further dividing the private and public schools because private schools, admittedly, they have more resources available than the average public school system. And private schools, in the most part, have their students fully equipped for electronic communication as a necessity. Public schools, however, it's not as required. So those who can't afford resources would not necessarily be provided them. And this just makes it that much harder for those already struggling to learn from online learning. Uh-huh. Ben, what is your take on private and public schools and their handling of distance learning? Uh, yeah, so for this question, I wanted to bring up an article um, from New York Times. So in this article, it talks about the difference between online learning in a private school called Chicago Jewish Day School and public school, Spruance Elementary. It brings up one of the teachers at the private school and her viewpoint of distance learning. So every school day, her students spend 15 minutes working on math and writing. Then they split into small reading groups, and that's later followed by a lunch and recess break. They even have yoga, art, music, and cooking classes. So what does this feel similar to? Well, real life learning. Now let's take a look at a student from Spruance, the public option. So I won't use the student's name for privacy reasons, but I'll call him Tom. So Tom did not see his teacher until late April, which is sometime after the school likely closed, because the school had to spend lots of weeks training teachers in distance learning. So fast forward to when they actually are trained. Every day, Tom's teacher has a video meeting for an hour in the morning. And this is Tom's only hour of real-time learning. To add to that, only about 11 of the 26, which is less than half, attend. So at this point, it's incredibly obvious that the coronavirus has indeed widened the gap between private and public schools. But to think about this even more, let's take a look at it from a business point of view. If the private schools are unable to provide quality content during COVID, they risk students both current and new, whereas public schools from a business stance will continue to receive government funding no matter what. Also, the public school districts have the increasingly important task of caring for kids who can't receive meals. 30.3 million students received free meals in 2016, according to NPR Ed. So the philosophy of private schools having much more to lose has always been there but the coronavirus has just made it more evident. And also to be clear, by no means am I saying public schools don't care. I attend a public school and I love it there. All my teachers care for me incredibly, but I'm just saying the private schools have so much more at stake. So both of you guys are saying, of course, that public schools might have had a slower response to the coronavirus because they don't have as many resources. A lot of their kids are you know, economically disadvantaged, so it takes a lot of time to make sure to get that, those electronics out to those kids. But Ben, you talked about how the, the business standpoint of it, you know, you say, you're saying that private schools do have more at stake because they need to make sure that the parents are, keep paying for the private schools. 
So they have money at stake. Why is that the case? That really shouldn't be the case when you look at it from the education standpoint. Both of these schools, private and public schools, have education at stake. And education is very, very significant in terms of it should be valued by all teachers. And yes, public schools don't have, have as many resources, but they really both should feel at pressure. Oma, what do you have to add to that? I agree with you. Both um, types of schools should have pressure for their students to be the best that they can. And considering the amount of public schools versus the amount of private schools, this should be a factor that we change in public schools, for example. I feel like it's very important for kids to be present in class. And this is a factor that shouldn't change with online learning. And there are exceptions that some students face because of their situations at home. And they're also, they need to be taken into account for, which is why um, I suggest asynchronous classes, which is also what my school did for the boarders at my school. So because of maybe time differences or any conflicts whatsoever, there should be classes that should be held based off each student. Obviously it's gonna be hard to help each student because there are gonna be so many, but they should hold classes not necessarily at specific times because not everyone's going to be able to make it there and it's going to be very difficult for certain people which is why asynchronous classes work as well so you're saying that there doesn't necessarily have to be a set schedule every day like normal school but there should be the option where you have still hands-on learning activities and recorded lectures so that they can still have that same sort of face-to-face -face learning environment a lot of public schools have a lot of public school districts have made a really good response to the coronavirus and it's not necessarily that public schools aren't doing as well there is an area for public schools definitely to do well with the coronavirus outbreak and i want to make sure really quick what are exactly are you suggesting for public schools to be doing in the future i feel like face-to-face -face classes are very important so the teacher and student can interact and also with other students altogether make it as normal as possible in these times. So I feel like it should be necessary to be present and be on camera so the teacher can monitor them or prevent any distractions. And this will give students a chance to make it feel as normal as possible, as normal as you can with online learning. And it gives them opportunities to participate or learn. Ben. But what else do you have to say about how public and private schools have responded? Yeah, um, so you brought up the point of it's about the education value, not necessarily about the money. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, public schools can't only focus on education at this point. They have to focus, like I said, on giving their kids free meals and access to support services, which mm -hmm. I think we can all agree the health of the kids is more important than the education. I think we can all agree that. Um, and so generally, private school families are wealthier and don't have to consider the lower income students. Um, so I think that's really where it comes in is that you're right, it's not only about the money, mm -hmm. but the public schools have to take care of so much more things than the private schools do. Yeah, so you're saying that they both do really care about education, just that the public schools actually have more to deal with in terms of providing meals, you know, making sure that everyone's equipped with electronic devices, whereas private schools already have a lot of those things already done. Is that correct? Yeah, the public schools just have so much more duties and mm -hmm. they so much more duties that are more important than necessarily in education. 
such as, like I said, free meals or support services. Yeah, I feel like the divide between private and public schools has always been there, but especially now with the pandemic, it's hurting it maybe just a bit more. I agree with you on that aspect, but the part that I do disagree on is how you said the pressure between private and public schools for their students to be the best they can. All right, now going on to the next question, which is about ourselves. How can we make the most of distance learning as kids as we enter back into the next school year in August? Whether schools partly return, fully return, or remain virtual in the fall, distance learning will never be the same as face-to-face interaction. While some students have lost motivation, others have taken advantage of the situation to learn new skills or strengthen existing ones. How can we make the most of distance learning as kids? Ben, I'll give this one to you first. Yeah, so I think there's really two aspects of that question. There's the hobby point of view, like how can they do more activities? And then there's the education point of view. So how, they, how, how can they make the most of the learning, specifically learning aspect? Uh, and that's what I wanted to focus on. So to properly answer that question, we really have to distinguish what makes distance learning so different than regular school classes. And I highlighted the two main factors, which are the focus aspect and the face-to-face interaction. So really, all we have to do to make the most of distance learning is basically to make it more like regular learning. So what do you mean by that, right? So first, focus. In many schools, there is PE. And as we all know, physical education has been proven to keep kids more focused because it helps them release all the extra energy and jitters. So first and foremost, in order to help kids get the most out of distance learning, they need some physical movement. Next, the reason why we learn so much better in classrooms is because it's a distraction-free environment. So as simple as it sounds, we just need to declutter and have a clear and empty workspace. Now, the other aspect I mentioned was about face-to-face interaction. I wanted to bring up a study from the U.S. Department of Education. In this 2018 study, they randomly assigned students to either an online or face-to-face class. And these were the same study curriculum. The two measures were an exam average for the entire course and improvement from the post-test to the pre-test. So the results of a study were, quote, the face-to-face class performs statistically significantly better than the online class in terms of the exam average and improvement in post-test instructor questions, end quote. So now the question is, how do we make distance learning more face-to-face? Well, for starters, many schools use Zoom or Google Meets for classes. Most of the students are reluctant to show their faces, which I believe Oma mentioned earlier. And that's in turn, makes those who would show their face awkward in doing so. And because of this domino effect, teachers have to teach a bunch of black screens, which I'm sure isn't very comfortable. If we ever want to make distance learning more impactful, students just need to show their faces. So all in all, to answer your question, we just need to make distance learning more similar to regular learning by increasing focus levels and increasing face-to-face interaction. Yeah, definitely what you're saying about increasing focus and limiting those distractions and getting outside is really, really important. There's a lot of people who, you know, as soon as they realize that, oh, distance learning is going to be the new norm, they started sleeping late, waking up super late, 
and they didn't really have any motivation. So it's really important what you're saying about making sure you have, you know, a schedule, limiting those distractions, and making sure that you get as much as possible out of the education that you're being given, whether that's is not as good as it is face-to-face, um, you know, still make the most of what you're getting. Oma, you're more geared toward focusing on hobbies rather than making the most of those distance learning classes. Is that correct? With distance learning comes obviously a lot more free time. And with that free time, we could do possibly anything beneficial towards us, whether it be more exercise to make up for the lack of physical education that we miss out on or further educate themselves. Obviously, this is not the perfect solution, but these are just some of the ways we can make the most of distance learning. And the National Association of Independent Schools, or the NAIS, states that in order to be a distance student, it will require a lot better self-control when it comes to time management and academic honesty. Yeah, but we can't just trust the kids with this free time, of course. Most kids, when they're like, oh, I don't have any school, I can just start playing video games like Fortnite, which has been increasing as of late. And you have kids watching YouTube all the way till 12 a.m. in the morning. So how can you make sure that the kids are actually going to focus on these extra hobbies rather than just do whatever they want? I completely see your point. I like Fortnite myself and I understand where you're coming from. But video games are not the only rewarding activity a kid can do with their free time. Some kids could actually enjoy the outdoors or other beneficial activities that spark their interest depending from person to person. And video games, although having their benefits, such as like improved hand-eye coordination, even with this, after a while, it will get boring and become less and less fulfilling and kids will turn to other alternatives. This is where the parents and teachers need to step in, give kids ideas, give them things to do to make sure that their day is not just spent in front of a screen playing video games or watching movies or television. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of the time, if kids are just given free time, they're just going to watch YouTube all day. Ben, you had something to say? Uh, yeah, so I actually had a question for Oma. So my question is, how can we encourage kids to do things like read books or take a course when to them, Fortnite or Minecraft is so much more enticing? So as I said earlier, this does have a lot to do with parents and teachers as well. I think they need to step in and take part of the situation because as kids are still growing, they're still learning self-control and time management, obviously. And it's important for teachers and parents to understand that and help them as much as they can by maybe making schedules or plan out their day ahead of time. So again, the not their whole day is spent in front of a screen or just doing activities that are not beneficial. Uh-huh. Ben, do you have something else to add? Um, no, not really. I, I agree with Oma for the most part in this. Uh-huh. Yeah, definitely. It's really important to explore your passions during this time. I mean, there, and there also definitely needs to be a time when parents need to just step in and tell their kids, no more YouTube, no more games. It's time to focus on doing other activities in addition to the schools, So other activities, these can include going outside, exercising, running, just exploring your passions. If you like writing, maybe you want to write. If you like cooking, sometimes when we have this extra time, it really allows us to explore our passions rather than going into school. Because sometimes at school, there are things that just seem distant from us or not really 
related to what we're going to do in the future. So Oma, you're really saying that if our schools aren't providing that same kind of learning that we need or as much time, we really should be focusing on those hobbies. And Ben, you're saying that if we're not getting that same sort of education, we should be trying to get more of that education? Basically, so Oma, correct me if I'm wrong, Oma is saying that we should spend the usual time in school doing other activities. And yes, I understand if you want to be a Olympic runner, then maybe going to a track and sprinting might be beneficial. But while a kid is in school, the brain is still developing. And I understand, like I said, that if a runner wants to be a runner, then it might be good to run. But you still need to use some of that time that would have been spent in school to keep up with learning progress, whether it's learning a Coursera course or reading a book. Yeah, I'm not saying that we should just completely drop school. I'm saying that with school, obviously after studying or doing your assignments and everything, there will still be a lot more free time because we're not on campus, we're not in school, we're gonna be at home. And in order to fill up those gaps of time, we could do things that are productive, such as courses or reading books, obviously with the help of teachers and parents' encouragement along the way. So what you guys are saying is because we're not on campus, we're going to have more free time, which can be used for furthering the education that we might have lost and also for exploring new hobbies. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. So the fourth question that I have for you guys is about how colleges might differ from reopening primary and secondary schools. The California State University System, or the Cal State School System, announced that most of their fall classes will be conducted online, and many universities are planning for a virtual return. The Cal State School System is one of the largest public school systems in the United States, so their decision really sets a precedent for other colleges and universities in the United States. How will reopening colleges differ from elementary, junior high, and high school systems? And I'll give that to Ben. Yeah, so like we all know, the brain requires social interaction as it grows. And social distancing severely limits this interaction. The University of Rochester explains that the brain grows up from when you're born to the age of 25, with the earlier years obviously being more important and then the importance being downgraded as you grow. So because of this, even though social distancing will still have some effect on undergraduate students' brains, younger primary and secondary students will be affected significantly more. As such, the face-to-face -face aspect of learning will be much more essential to younger grades than college. And because of this, we really need to expedite the reopen process for primary and secondary in comparison to upper learning. Yeah, a lot of colleges already have online programs, you know, for master's or PhD programs, and they're more equipped for online classes because they've been doing that in the past already. Oma, do you agree with that? Yeah, Noah, as you said, college attendees are already more equipped to function through online studying, and having already gone through primary and secondary school systems gives them that advantage to be more ready for remote learning, whereas primary and secondary school systems do struggle a bit more because they're not as ready or equipped for it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely colleges and universities, their approach is going to be a lot different 
than primary and secondary schools. They might be more willing to do these online classes because they know there won't be as much of a drop in information as say primary and secondary schools whose students really do need that face-to-face interaction. I mean, I'm not saying that college and you know graduate programs don't need that interaction, but it might be less important. One thing I wanted to mention as well, back to that other question that I asked you guys is grading. So I know in these last few months of school, a lot of schools have actually made grades optional or made a system where your grades can't go down, they can only go up. And this made students lose a lot of motivation. They're basically saying like, okay, if my grade can't go down, I already have A's, why do I even need to work? Is that something that should be enforced later on in school or should that be changed? I'll give that to Omar. I know a lot of schools around me have that system. My school personally did not have that. We had assignments where we would turn in like normally, except it was a lot more relaxed and it helped us because we weren't as stressed. So we would receive a few assignments. We'd do them on our own or maybe in class and then we'd turn them in through our school systems. And our tests and quizzes also were a lot more relaxed or we just didn't get them. And we still got points marked down if we didn't turn in something or if we maybe got a few things wrong, which helped us stay motivated in working hard in school so we could keep our grades up. Ben, what do you have to say about that? I think to really understand this question, we have to look at both sides of the argument. So for the side of credit or no credit grades, well, they always talk about we have to consider the lower income students. And that with virtual learning, it's no longer a balanced playing field. Whereas during school, everyone is in the same desk with the same computer. At home, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure many people have the same desk, same computer. But if you look at the other point of view of having grades, well, isn't distance learning like regular school? In regular school, we're not going to get rid of grades, so why should we do it in distance learning? So I think that this is a pretty difficult question to answer, yes or no. But I just wanted to provide some of that insight for the audience to help them make their decision. Yeah, I agree with you that there's no like clear yes or no answer. I was just saying for from like personal experience, that's how my school stay motivated in working hard to keep our grades up. But it depends. Yeah, one possible solution might be for the students that are equipped, maybe making grades you know, actually vulnerable to change. Whereas the students that might not have the same resources, maybe the teachers can contact those families and see if there's, if they're disadvantaged, they don't have the same resources as kids in the same school that do have those resources. And maybe they won't be subject to a grade change. You know, it'll be more of a credit or no credit system. So that is also very interesting. So the last question I have for you guys is what can kids do right now in the summer And what message do you guys want to leave them with? And I'll give that to Oma first. I just want to say everyone should be staying as active as you can because we're obviously missing that out in our lives. So we have to stay active. And also, I think it's best to prepare ahead of time for the next school year because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how the coronavirus, how far along it will come. So we just need to be prepared for everything and maybe set up a plan or set up resources that should be available for our next year. Ben? 
Yeah, so what I would say is, I know it sounds broad, but you really have to use this chance as a really great opportunity. I mean, when's the last time we've had this much time on our hands? And like we bring up earlier, maybe don't spend so much time watching YouTube or binging Netflix. Try doing things that you'll remember in a couple of years. I mean, Fortnite, it sounds great. You'll have some fun with some friends. But when you're an adult talking to your kids, are you going to be talking a lot about Fortnite? Or what if you, instead of playing Fortnite, made a scrapbook or made a vlog that you can show your kids in the future? Something that will last. So I think that in coronavirus now, think of the long term and try doing things now that you, you will actually remember and that you'll be proud to tell your kids. Yeah, one example that I was given by an adult in the past is that take 50 hours. Say you spend 50 hours playing video games, playing Minecraft, playing Fortnite. What do you really get out of that? Maybe you'll move on to the next rank or you'll get, you know, digital currency that won't mean anything in the future. You'll just get that direct entertainment that you'll have right then and there and not be better prepared for the future. If you spend 50 hours cooking, look how much you can gain. You can provide for your family. You can be better equipped in your adult lifehood. So yeah, I definitely agree with you guys, making sure that we expand in our hobbies and make good use of our time rather than just playing video games or watching YouTube. So thank you guys so much for coming on and I hope you guys have a good and productive summer. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me too. And I wish you the same as well. All right, thanks guys. What do you guys think of the debate? Ben believes it is best to wait for a vaccine before returning to school because he doesn't want to take any chances with public health, while Oma is prioritizing returning as soon as possible with strict medical procedures in place and a hybrid model of learning. While they both agree that kids should make use of the extra time during distance learning, Ben thinks the time should be geared towards supplemental courses or materials, while Oma believes the time is best spent on strengthening hobbies. Let me know if you guys like this type of debate versus a more structured prompt. And thanks for listening. And thanks so much to the debaters, Oma Sukul and Benjamin Wong. To the founder of this podcast, also Benjamin Wong, and to the audio editor for this episode, Talia Rahman. The views expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Fireflies podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a good and productive week.